Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Fans, welcome in to the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by KSLSports.com. I'm your host and Utes Insider, Trevor Allen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys can follow me on Twitter, at Trevor A. Sports, or on Instagram, at Trevor Allen KSL is where you will find me on Instagram. And then also follow all the KSL Sports, or all the KSL Sports social pages, at KSL Sports, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is where you will find them. And make sure you check out all of our content at kslsports.com. I have a great show for you guys coming up today. We will begin our previews for the 2020 college football season looking at Utah's opponents. We begin with the USC Trojans, and their head coach, Clay Helton, will join me coming up in just a few minutes. And then also coming up on the uh, next segment, we will continue our position previews for Utah football for the 2020 season as we look at the cornerbacks. How do they look and with how many new faces? Who are some guys to watch out for coming up in the cornerback position? Because they have some big shoes to fill in uh, after losing so much talent in their secondary from last season. Now, I really hope that you guys have enjoyed the uh, content that has come out from Conference Realignment Anniversary. Ten years ago this month, Utah accepted an invite to the Pac-10, which became the pac 12 as they in Colorado joined the the uh, Pac-10 and becoming a Power 5 conference. Utah has really thrived and really taken advantage of this opportunity, especially in, in recent years. So it's been great to see. Now, if you guys will go over to our website, kslsports.com, I've listed the top 10 wins for Utah football during the Pac-12 era. Um, I've also listed a timeline of important events during the Pac-12 era and even before that, and then uh, how conference realignment has impacted both Utah and BYU over the past 10 years. Because keep in mind, not only did Utah leave the Mountain West to take an invite to the Pac-10, BYU declared their football independence just a couple of months later, leaving the Mountain West as well. 
Now, I know some of you are probably asking what's the latest on Morgan Scally as he is currently suspended for a text message that was sent in 2013 to a college recruit that included a racial slur. Um, as far as I know, it's still ongoing. They have not decided the future of whether they will bring back Morgan Scally or if they will let him go. So definitely keep an eye out on Twitter and also at, at kslsports.com. We will alert you when something happens. Now, just to go over the uh, quickly over the uh, top 10 best wins during the Pac-12 era, uh, I'll just rattle them off here real quick. There were two honorable mentions. Uh, the first one was in 2015 when Utah barely beat BYU in the Las Vegas Bowl. That was when Utah had a 35-0 lead. BYU's five turnovers turned into five Utah touchdowns in the first quarter, but then BYU scored 28 points in the final three quarters but fell just short of that comeback as Utah pulled out the 35-28 win. And then in 2019, Utes coming back to beat Washington up in Seattle. This past season, Utah was down 14-3 early heading into the second quarter. In that third quarter, Washington had their lead up to 21-13 before Jacob Eason threw a pick six to Jalen Johnson, who took it to the house for a 39-yard touchdown. And Utah rattled off two more touchdowns in the fourth quarter before Washington scored at the very end. Utah comes away with the 33-28 win. And then at number 10, Utah stuns number 14, Stanford, in Palo Alto. That was back in 2018. And Stanford was 4-1 and one heading into that game. Utah was coming off of a two-game losing streak against Washington and Washington State. That was the game where Jalen Johnson had that 100-yard pick six, and uh, Zach Moss ran for 160 yards, two touchdowns. That was also that game where uh, Tyler Huntley threw that pretty impressive pass to, to Samson Nakua for a touchdown as well. And then coming at number nine was in 2015 when Utah – beat Jared Goff in number 23 Cal. That was when ESPN College game day was here. Um, Cal hadn't lost. Utah hadn't lost. Utah was number five in the country at that time. But Jared Goff, who went on to be the uh, number one overall pick in the 2016 NFL draft, he threw five picks, four of them in the first half. And Devontae Booker rushed for 222 yards and two touchdowns. And then in 2014, Sac Lake City upsets number eight UCLA in the Rose Bowl. That was when they had Brett Hundley. Uh, the Bruins did, and they were 4-0. Utah got up to a 17-7 lead. That was when they didn't get much going on offense as far as passing. But uh, Booker finished with 156 rushing yards and a touchdown. But Utah's defense sacked Brett Hundley 10 times. Nate Orchard had four of those sacks. Coming in at number 7 was in 2011 when Utah dominated BYU. It just wasn't Jake Heaps' night as Utah had a 14-10 lead at the half, but went on to score 40 points in the second half and held BYU scoreless to go on to a 54-10 win in Provo. John White, the fourth, had 174 yards and three touchdowns. Jordan Wynn threw for 239 and two touchdowns and a pick. BYU turned the ball over seven times in that game. And then at number six, the Utes come back to beat BYU in 2018. That was when BYU had a 20-0 lead, and then Julian Blackman had a pick six and then after that BYU scored again and was up 27 to 7 midway through the third quarter that was when Jason Shelley and Armand Shine helped Utah score four straight touchdowns to win the game Shelley threw for 141 yards and ran for another 61 yards scored two total touchdowns and then number five Joe Williams running all over Pasadena 
in the Rose Bowl in 2016, ran for 332 yards and four touchdowns. That is a school record. For most rushing yards in a single game, that record still stands today. And the Utes beat the Bruins 52-45 in an in a offensive shootout. And then coming in at number four, it was a late touchdown that gave Utah a win over number 20 USC in 2014. It was Utah's first win over USC since becoming conference opponents. And Utah went on to win 24-21 after Travis Wilson threw a one-yard touchdown pass to Kalen Clay with eight seconds left to give the Utes the win. At number three was in 2013 as the Utes secure their first signature Pac-12 win over number five Stanford. That was when they went over to Rice-Eccles Stadium, number five in the country. And Utah jumped out to a 21-14 lead and was able to keep all the momentum, although there were times where Stanford had an opportunity, but Utah's defense came up big. Travis Wilson had 234 yards and two touchdowns, while Bubba Poole had 111 yards. And then at number two was in 2016 as Tim Patrick scored a game-winning touchdown to help Utah beat USC. That was when Troy Williams was the quarterback. Utah won the game 31-27. to And then number one was in 2015, when Utah went up to Eugene and absolutely smashed the Oregon Ducks. Oregon was ranked number 13 at the time, but Utah went away with a 62-20 win. All right, now time for you guys to hear a conversation that I had with USC head coach Clay Helton. As we get ready for the 2020 Utah football season, we now make one of our first stops here as we look at Utah's opponents, and one of them that is always competing for that South title alongside Utah is the USC Trojans, and we welcome in their head football coach, Clay Helton. Coach, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. I kind of want to start out with the uh, big news that came down this morning. Your program can now welcome back Reggie Bush. Just talk about what that means for your program. Yeah, Reggie has been such a, uh, a great um, part of not only college football history, but USC football history. And he means so much. I've been here for 10 seasons, 10 years, and, and have lived in Southern California. Um, you don't know what he means to the, the younger players uh, in this generation. And so to be able to welcome him back, uh, and, and Reggie, as you saw last, last year on, on Fox, he, he's just so good for the game. Um, and I personally, I can't wait to have him uh, be able to share his knowledge of the game with our players as well as life. And uh, it's an exciting time. So he's probably going to be a guy you're going to be able to utilize more to be able to help benefit your program as a guy who can talk to possible recruits and a guy who can talk to even your younger guys, right? Yeah, this is a guy that has a wealth of knowledge. Uh, and, and to be able to share that with young people, um, I, I think it's going to be truly special. Um, I've gotten a chance to know, know Reggie uh, as a broadcaster, uh, as, as a former player. Uh, he is a tremendous father, husband, person. And to be able to put that in front of young men um, is exciting. And so uh, I know all USC Trojans are are fired up to be able to welcome Reggie back. I want to go back to last season. You guys won eight games, and you guys came up just short of that South title. Obviously, it went to Utah, but how do you think the 2019 season went for the Trojans? Yeah, you know, we finished in conference seven and two, fall one game short uh, to Utah that's eight and one, and that's been the battle it seems like year in and year out. Um, we we know how important it is to that game between us and Utah, and, and Kyle does such a, an amazing job uh, with his kids 
We were fortunate last year to, to play a really hard-fought game uh, against Utah and come out on top, uh, but fell one game short uh, after losing to, to Washington and Oregon uh, in the same year. So I really saw our team grow, uh, to be honest with you. We only had seven scholarship seniors on that team last year. It was a young football team, and I thought our team grew as our young quarterback grew. To be honest with you, you know, um, early on made a couple rookie mistakes, learned from those mistakes, uh, learned how important not making the critical error was to winning football games. And, you know, as he grew, you saw our team grew and really played our best football down the and the back half of the season. You know, so really excited to be able to welcome back nine out of 11 starters on defense, eight out of 11 starters uh, on offense, and uh, have the ability to put, I think, a really uh, good product on, on the field this year. I know that we're in a really weird time right now where you weren't really able to have much spring ball if you had it at all, you know, to bring in a young guy like Keaton Slovis to try and get him ready for his second season. I mean, normally spring is kind of crucial. Not having that, how do you go about getting him ready for the season? Yeah, it's been a lot mental, to be honest with you, during this time period. We, we had a, a we had a nice luxury prior to spring ball where, you know, you had that time period and we invested four weeks, not only in strength and conditioning, but you're allowed that two-hour window a week to be able to do walkthroughs as, as well as as well as meetings. So we, we captured that time. We got one practice, <laughs> one practice uh, before, before the virus truly hit and, and we had to, we had to exit for safety reasons. Um, and uh, you know, so we missed that time. Um, now, uh, the one thing that I think the NCAA did a wonderful job of is allowing us eight hours a week of this, of engaging with our players uh, virtually uh, and be able to go through. And you know how mental the game is for the quarterback position. Um, and so, you know, we've done a lot, of, whether it's team meetings, unit meetings, position meetings, uh, to try to catch up. Uh, from the middle aspect. Now, the thing that is that is going to that we're missing, and we're hoping to get back, you know, late June and July, is the opportunity to physically uh, prepare for the position, strength and conditioning wise, and uh, being able to uh, get around uh, the other skilled players to create that chemistry and that timing that is needed. And uh, you know, it, it looks like everything's trending in the right direction. Feel I'm optimistic that uh, we'll be back on campus uh, in the in the near future when it's healthy and safe, and, and and the city and the county allow us to and the university allow us to come back. Uh, but I, we're, I think we're going to have plenty of time to be able to get that chemistry prior to a training camp and still have you know 25 practices to prepare for a season. You mentioned you only had one spring practice. Utah had three. And mm -hmm. Kyle told us that he watched each practice probably about 200 times on film. How many times have you watched that, that one practice? Uh, I was so excited, to be honest with you. I've got a new defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando, and, 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 and three other new assistants uh, on defense. And, and uh, I was so excited to see, you know, just the progress that they had made in that four-week investment of installing the system via meetings and walkthroughs and we get out there first and let's look at really good. I'm like, wow, man, we're way ahead of schedule. And then bam, <laughs> so, I've enjoyed watching kind of like Kyle. I've, I've watched it too many times. Uh, I, I can tell you that. What is it about playing the Utes where it's always usually so close and every single year you guys are always right there neck and neck for that South title. Yeah. You, you know, it's become a, a really nice rivalry game. Uh, and a game that has been so important in deciding 
um, you know, who ends up winning the South. Um, like I've said, Kyle's done a wonderful job with the young men that he's brought in there. Um, Kyle's known as a developer. Uh, he, he does a tremendous job. He puts tremendous staffs together. And uh, um, it, we always know uh, when you go into that game, it's going to be a physical battle and both teams coming out. You can just tell it, it takes something out of you, uh, to be honest with you, when, when you play uh, play that game. Uh, and um, whether whether it's in Utah and Salt Lake City, which is a hard place to play, <laughs> or whether it's in the Coliseum, uh, hold on to your hats and get your popcorn out because it's going to be a hell of a game. What are some of the things that you're looking for on your offense now? I mean, you, you obviously lost some of your weapons, but you mentioned yeah. you have a lot of starters coming back. It seems like, you know, whenever you guys lose weapons on offense, you always mm-hmm. seem to reload. Mm-hmm. Is that basically the case again this year? Yeah, I, I mean, when you look at the skill positions, obviously you have uh, the quarterback backing in Keaton. Uh, you have the availability. We lost a, a big target in Michael Pittman, a big play target that was a 1,200-yard receiver. Um, but you're bringing back a 1,000-yard receiver in Amon Ross St. Brown, a 900-yard receiver in Tyler Vaughn, and adding some young pieces of the puzzle. We saw Drake London really, uh, really come onto the scene in the, in the last half of, of the season. You add guys like a Brew McCoy and a Gary Bryant and a Josh Jackson and Amir McClain and Kyle Ford. You add those those pieces, and it's something that uh, I think would be truly special uh, on the outside. Uh, and then when you look at the interior, um, to be able to use that tight end possession with an Eric Roman Hogan and a Daniel Morgan baby and a Josh Follow and a Jude Wolf, um, uh, as well as the running back position, which all the backs are back. You know, uh, they're an older, experienced bunch. Um, You know, we're sitting here uh, with a more experienced team, uh, a team that has played in the bright lights, you know, that had to play a top 10 team in Utah last year, that had to, you know, go play in South Bend, Indiana against a a good Notre Dame team and and be in some of those high-profile games and be able to execute. And I just saw their confidence grow as the season went on. Now we've got a couple of things that we got to be able to figure out. Obviously, losing an Austin Jackson at left tackle uh, is is being able to replace him isn't the easiest thing in the world. And getting our top five on the offensive line out there, the continued development of a young secondary from last year that were basically all freshmen and sophomore, and watching them grow, I think training camp could be as important as anything for them uh, in this new system uh, but but if when solving those answers I think you're going to see a really good product on the field this year when Daniels went down in that opener last year and you uh, put in Keaton Slovis did you think Keaton was going to have this kind of an impact already for your program well you never know uh, until the until the bullets are flying and and I, I tell you what I've always and, and the exact same thing happened with Sam Darnold when he was with us too. Um, and it was at Utah, a matter of mm-hmm. fact. It was his first game starting. And when they walk into that huddle, when they walk into that huddle for the first time, you can always tell by their eyes. They either got the deer in the headlights eyes or it's like or they look at you like, All right, it's practice, let's go. It feels just like practice. And in both in both situations with both men, the, the situation wasn't too big. They were, they were ready for it. They were prepared. And I give Keaton a lot of credit. Um, I would have never anticipated losing your starting quarterback uh, in, in the first, in the second quarter of the first game of the season. But for him to step in, 
find a way to win that game uh, and then come back that next game, as you remember, versus Stanford and really put on a show. Um, he, you know, you, you, you kind of knew you were like, whoa, okay, for a true freshman to be doing these type of things uh, with this type of accuracy, decision-making, you know, timing, um, you know, we got something special here. And, yeah, there's going to be some growing pains, uh, and he'll learn from them. Uh, but, you know, as he learned from them, man, the, the team – team really started executing and and I think about the last regular season game against UCLA and uh, him finding four different receivers for 100 yards we had four receivers with 100 yards each and the running back had 100 yards you know it was it was when we walked out of that game I go wow this thing is really rolling right now and it, it had to do a lot with with Keaton's growth uh, and what he was able to accomplish it was a lot of it too because he and Graham were really kind of tied at the hip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they have a unique relationship, a special relationship. It's uh, it's one that uh, you know Graham is really honest with him. They're almost like Graham's almost like an older brother. Uh, that's the type. Of, I mean, uh, you know, and and Keaton's uh, Keaton is a gym rat. I mean, he he loves the game ball. He loves studying it. He's always around. You'll find him by himself in a film room just, you know, just working and, and trying to gain just a little bit of extra knowledge. Uh, he's he's one of those guys that uh, he invests in himself and invests in being a master of his craft. And, uh, and uh, I'm proud of where he is. Uh, I can't wait to watch his sophomore campaign. Now let's switch over to the other side of the ball on defense. You obviously mentioned you brought in Todd Orlando. What are some of the things that you saw in him when you hired him to be able to, yeah. to turn around your defense? Yeah, well, I, I had competed against him three times in my career, and it was the three most frustrating days I think I've ever had. Uh, one was at, when he was at Utah State and two at Texas. And I'll never forget uh, that Rose Bowl year. You know, we, we played Texas in a double overtime game and, and come out winning it uh, in the Coliseum. And Sam and I walked off, and I remember him looking at me and goes, gosh, dog, that was hard, Coach. <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a frustrating game. You know, Coach just gives so many different looks uh, and is so aggressive, and the pressures can be coming from anywhere. Um, his, his kids fly to the ball, um, ultra aggressive. Uh, and his temperament um, with the kids and the amount of time that he gives them and how he approaches uh, his style of the game. Um, was just perfect for us, and and it was it was something to really fun to watch in spring while we had the time, uh, you know, to see him educate our kids. And I can't wait to get it back. Um, he's been doing a great job of via Zoom, but I know he's ready to be face to face with the guys. I know there's a guy who anchors that D line for you, who you uh, snatched from the uh, state of Utah, and Jay Tufele. What does he bring, and and what is his role supposed to be that, uh, coming into the 2020 season? Yeah, uh, so fortunate. Um, you know, the, the great state of Utah has produced uh, a lot of talent and has really, we, in my ten years at USC, uh, it has really grown and even expanded uh, the, the geographics. Salt Lake City has, has has expanded, and there's a lot of talent coming in. Um, but um, it is. In Jay's case, we've seen him grow as a player and as a person. Uh, he's he's. Uh, uh, really had a good spring uh, all the way around. Uh, and and his job is to cause havoc, you know, at that three-technique position. If, 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 if you single him up, if the guard has him on a single block, it's, it's, it's usually he's winning. And uh, it's, it's something that um, 
He is so strong in his hands, so explosive in his hips, and so relentless to the ball. Um, he's always been that way, even since high school. Um, he's really grown fundamentally and technique-wise. I can't wait to see him with Vic Soto, our D-line coach, uh, and to watch even more growth. But he was a kid that could have gone out last year as an NFL player. Right? And, and really, I thought, made a great decision. He wants to be a first-round draft pick and, and has that capability. You know, and he came back for the, for this fourth year to, to be able to up his stock as well as help us win a championship. It sounds like as we head into July that you guys are going to be able to have six weeks to get ready for the 2020 season. Is that enough time for you, or do you feel like you probably could use more, or, or maybe is that a little more than, than what you need? Yeah, you know, that hasn't been finalized yet. Um, you know, I think that we'll get a final plan. I think it'll some, it will be somewhere between six to eight weeks um, uh, to be able to be prepared. I think the biggest thing that's happening right now for us is teams that are uh, able to start coming back on campus with other regular students and, and be able to get those voluntary workouts. Um, it, you know, for me, it, it's I was in this situation uh, one time before with the Dory Jackson who um, – with the U.S. Olympic trials, really committed to track um, and won a Pac-12 and the championship in the long jump and, and, and made the finals of the U.S. Olympic trials. And But he, he was away for the game uh, for basically six months. And he came back to us in early July, and he really had to just focus on getting in functional football shape. Um, and that's what we've got to do right now. You know, it's it's not just jumping right back into practice. It's it's really building our players up so you don't have the soft tissue injuries. You don't have the joints injuries. This game is so fast and so violent that the biggest part of this is getting our kids back into football shape. So really looking forward um, to getting our kids back here in the near future uh, in a safe environment where they can get that strength and conditioning and training to be able to be prepared for a training camp. You know, and I know the NCAA is working on anywhere from a six to eight week model that'll be finalized here shortly. Say that the uh, season starts on time and you guys play your guys' full schedule. Your season opener is a pretty big one against Bama. Yeah, you know, we've got a really exciting schedule. And when you think about getting to go to Dallas, Texas and, and compete against Alabama and Coach Saban, uh, we've always got the rivalry game, the Notre Dame game uh, that's at our place this year, and a nine-game conference schedule, you know, that uh, not only has that competitive south, but, you know, we have Washington and, and Oregon and, and have the availability to compete, you know, for a, a Pac-12 championship and, and hopefully a playoff run, you know. So uh, it's, it's a very... Very uh, strong resume if you do your job. Uh, we've got a big game right off the bat, you know, with uh, Alabama that, that I, I, I know our fans and their fans are looking forward to. That's always a special game to historic programs. So uh, that's why you come to USC is to be able to play in those big games on the brightest stage and, and, and the brightest lights. And uh, we look forward to it. Well, Coach, it's always good to catch up with you. Obviously, best of luck heading into 2020 season, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Take care. And there you go. That was USC head coach Clay Helton here on the Crimson Corner Podcast. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we will preview the cornerbacks for Utah and how they'll look and who to watch for as we head into the 2020 college football season. You're listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast.
few years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back into the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by kslsports.com. Trevor Allen here with you. A big thank you to USC head coach Clay Helton for joining the program. Something I've been doing and will continue to do throughout the offseason is preview each position group at Utah heading into the 2020 season, how they fare, who some guys to watch out for, some of the experience coming back. I've already done the safety positions on a previous episode, but this one's going to be cornerbacks. This is... The most concerning position group that the Utah has coming into the 2020 season because literally every single guy has very little experience or none at all playing at Division One Power 5 football level at cornerback. Now, some of the guys who are coming back to have a little bit of experience is Bronson Boyd, who will be a junior in 2020. He was a wide receiver coming in from Texas Tech, but then they uh, moved him over to cornerback at the start of the 2019 season he appeared in all 14 games on special teams and three appearances on defense sophomore Travis Broughton played all 14 games on special teams as a true freshman and also playing on defense in four games and made his first career interception against Idaho State and then sophomore Aaron Lowe this is a guy who I talked about on the last episode could play safety could play corner could play both They're kind of plugging and playing with him, but he's a very versatile athlete. He played 11 games on special teams for the Utes last season, but I think he's ready to step in and contribute right away. And then another guy is freshman, LeCarrier Pleasant-Johnson. He did not play at all last season as he was utilizing his red shirt, but he's 6 foot, 161 pounds, a very fast player. But, again, having not played, he was still observing the cornerbacks from last year, which is going to benefit him greatly along with a lot of these other guys. But they have big shoes to fill. Losing Jalen Johnson, losing Tariq Lewis, Josh Nurse, Javelin Guidry, those were all big hits. But they're all off either into the NFL or graduated and had great careers at Utah. Now, some of the newcomers, the one that is obvious, and we've, we've talked to a couple of times here on this podcast, is four-star Clark Phillips the third. He's the highest-rated recruit the Utah has signed in school history. He's a guy who the coaches have been trying him out at nickel, but also, I mean, obviously plays cornerback, but he's a guy who is trying to expand his horizon and being able to play both nickel and cornerback. So I think that that's going to be a huge benefit to him and to the Utah football program. And then another guy who was already on campus during the spring semester was Kane Savage, 
from Anaheim, California. The coaches really like his potential as well as a guy who could step in right away. A guy who did not enroll in spring but will likely be there in fall camp is Kenzel Lawler from Corona, California. He is also a three-star recruit. Now, starter predictions. The obvious choice, I mean, Clark Phillips III, I think, is going to start, whether it's at cornerback or at nickel, but I think he's going to start the season at nickel. We'll eventually move over to corner. Malone, Mataele backing up Phillips. And then you have Broughton starting on the right side with Pleasant Johnson as his backup. And then on the left side, I believe that it'll be Bronson Boyd with Drew Rawls as his backup. But don't count out Kane Savage either. I think he's a guy who can jump in and play right away. All right, now we'll do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make sure you guys check out kslsports.com. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.